Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Once again, we have a guest that I have no doubt that you're going to enjoy. I've had some good conversations with him, and every time I, I talk with this guest that you're going to meet in a minute, I just learn something, which is what I love doing. And so I hope that since you have downloaded this this episode, that that is something that you love to do as well. It's Mark Peace. He is a pastor of Hope Church over in Bradford, England. He has been a lifelong supporter of Leeds United, which if you haven't uh, heard of Leeds United, you've been basically living under a rock over the last several decades, and especially the last couple years with the story that they have written over the last few years. Marco Bielsa is their manager, and we're going to be talking a lot about him today. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But before we get there, I just want to remind you, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe to the show. It's something that if you love what you're hearing, you can subscribe, you won't miss an episode. And that's something that I, I invite you to do. I also invite you to join the Facebook group if you want to take this conversation to another level. I'm really starting to ask some questions of, of the people in that group and, and just really hopefully have a, a deeper conversation with all of you. If you have a question for me, or if you have a guest that you would love to have on the show, I'd love to have you give me an email at uh, info at how soccer explains leadership.com so without any more from me well there will be more from me later but without any more from just me why don't we go ahead right now and introduce you to my friend mark peace mark how are you doing today hey phil how you doing greetings from the home of football <laughs> it is so great to have you on i'm i'm very i i say this almost every show because it's true i'm very excited to have you on here today i think you know as we talked about some of the things you might be able to talk about with us i just i love what we landed on so you know Good. before we get into that though yeah i just want you to briefly share your story you are a pastor i just love to hear your pastoral vocational journey because you haven't mm. just been a pastor over the years your leadership experience your family really and, and how you developed your love for leeds united Right. Well, let me answer that last question first. How I developed my love for Leeds United, really, I, I lay squarely at the feet of my father. So whether it was by choice or force, I got there <laughs> one way or the other. But anyway, my name's Mark, married to a wonderful lady called Hannah. We have three wonderful children, kind of either in or just about to embark upon the teenage years. Read into that what you will, but love them with all my heart. And yeah, for the past 20 plus years, I, I've been pastoring. And uh, I'll just pause for a second, Phil, for you to come in and say you don't look old enough. Yeah, well, that that is absolutely true. But Thank most people aren't much. on video. So <laughs> most people are listening to this. So they'll just hear your voice and the wisdom exuding out of your voice is something that uh, they will have no doubt that you are old enough to do all that. So, yeah. So there you go. Voice. We have no doubt. Looks. Absolutely. Go check out the video. You will 100 percent agree with that. I've got a face for podcasting. It has been said many times. Both but yeah, for um. For 20 plus years, been in ministry, brought up in a Christian home, which I'm, I'm grateful for. I actually got saved at a Billy Graham convention way back in the day when he used to do these football ground crusades. Remember, it's 1984. And really, since that time, my faith was real to me. It just really was. And to cut a very long story short, went through school, college, went to university, enjoyed it, wasn't entirely fulfilled. And I just felt that there was that call, that vocation and uh, got into ministry really just through serving in a local church uh, and over those 20 years i've really had the privilege to 
lead different churches in different cities around the UK. But also as well, maybe for some of your listeners, I got to spend three wonderful years in, in the US and um, part of a pastoral team in Houston. So between 2015 and 2018, we were there in the Lone Star State. And, and after that, we came back to the UK and we started to pastor a smaller church in, in the north of England. So we've kind of got experience of leading big churches, small churches, in between churches, and, and really the leadership principles that we've, I'd say, learned, but really, in all honesty, are still learning, because I think we always are always still learning, have been many and varied. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a little bit about us. Yeah, I love it. And you glossed over really your love for leads, which I think that I think I, I think, I think started, that may come through. That may come yeah, through as we talk, Phil. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, it started maybe with your dad, who is also a good friend of mine. Yeah. But I think it probably has grown away from just being something that your dad loves over the years. Yeah. But with that, today, as I alluded to earlier, we're, we are going to talk about the past few years in Leeds, mm. which has been nothing short of really amazing, Incredible. Uh, which is why Amazon Prime has made a, a mini series or two mini series, two seasons mm. of it tale called Take Us Home, Leeds United. If you have not watched that, I strongly it. recommend it. I just finished the second time through and it's, it's fantastic theater, really, which it has been, especially because it is a true story that has ended with their promotion to the Premier League this year. But before that, though, mm. it's been quite a journey of not Premier League after being one of the most storied clubs in all of Europe, really, and, and in England especially. Yeah. But can you just set the stage for our audience? I'm sure a lot of the people listening really don't know the history of Leeds. And, and I want you to talk about that history, but also what it's been like to be a supporter of Leeds over those years. I, I look at the last few years being a Manchester United supporter, and my kids who are probably, I'm hoping it's not as long of a, a layoff, so to speak, that you had, but my younger kids are saying, was Manchester United ever good? Which makes uh, me laugh since they did make the Champions League, even though they just bowed out. But we're not going to talk about that today. But I do want to talk about that, which is really that story over the last 40 years yeah. or so that you've been a lead supporter, what mm. that's been like and really contrast that with what you've witnessed over the past, past few years under Bielsa. Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose a little context is is good, isn't it? Because it, it just gives everything its proper meaning. We're we are, for those who, who maybe don't know, we are probably one of, not the oldest, but probably one of the most traditional, oldest clubs in the United Kingdom. We just, we're just we celebrating our 100th year, our centenary year as a club, as a, as a football club. And throughout all that time, we have never been the most fashionable club. We've never been the, we are quite a traditional blue collar city. Leeds really I suppose if I want to draw some kind of parallel and I, I could be wrong here but to take American football as an example we, we're kind of like the Green Bay Packers we're certainly not the Dallas Cowboys and we've never had the resources that other teams have had but we've never really had the opportunity we've always really felt like we're on the outside looking in and football fans being football fans we've delighted a little bit in that being a little bit different and uh, and really our history is one long out that hundred years, probably other than a 10 to 12, 15 year period in the sixties and seventies for any soccer historians out there, you know, we were kind of like the top of the tree mm. and then probably another 
three to four years in the 90s, pushing into the early 2000s where we were in the, the Premier League. We made the Champions League semi-final. Apart from that time, really, we have been the definition. If you can Wikipedia and Google this, if you like, we've been the definition of average. <laughs> and and that, that's been tough. Particularly when you know, and this has been part of the problem for our club, is that, by the way, today we're kind of looking at this like a, a case study, if that's all right. So right, absolutely. Um, to kind of put some of these principles on. But when you're a club that has had some success, you always feel like, when's, it the ne- when's the next time? I suppose some fans have a sense of entitlement, feel that we should win everything, that every competition we ever enter. And probably for about the past, 16 to 20 years before we got promoted this this past summer we have been languishing in the nether regions of the footballing wilderness not just in the division below the premier league we spent a good three four years i believe in the division below that i've got no idea what the 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 u.s equivalent of that is but we were so far away from the promised land that it wasn't funny And the amount of coaches we'd had, the amount of owners that we'd had, they'd come, they'd go. We'd we'd have three coaches in a year, in one season. Uh, I mean, how on earth you can try and build something to last or get some kind of stability? It just was not there. And then suddenly we get taken over by this guy, Andrea Razzini, Italian businessman with a bit of a sports media background. He takes over. But suddenly we, we make this appointment a man by the name of Marcelo Bielsa, a very well-known man in the world of coaching. And uh, he became our our manager two and a half to three years ago. In all honesty, most regular fans didn't know much about him. They'd heard of him, but really didn't know much about him. But suddenly we started hearing all these pundits and all these other coaches start to talk about this man that we didn't really know who he was in glowing terms. And the more we looked into him, the more we thought, how on earth as a club like us in our particular position, how on earth have we landed a guy like this, but land him, we did. And he came and, and the journey started and, and the rest is history. And I'm sure some of that we're going to talk about, but yeah, the, the context and the history, it has been challenging. It has been barren. There has not been an open checkbook. We have not had the means, still don't have the means to go and buy the kind of players that we feel that we would like And yet, despite all of that, through really the talent of an incredible leader, I've got to say, watching this man over the last two and a half years, I've taught leadership for years and I've attended so many leadership seminars. What I've witnessed is better than anything I've ever taught and anything I've ever heard in terms of tangible leadership principles being outworked and results being seen. It really has. And we are going to get into that, which I'm excited to do. One of the things, though, that I did see on that Take Us Home documentary was Bielsa's wife talking about him. And you hear things and you watch things and you see the leadership in the movie and the show on the whatever, on the field even. But mm. one of the things she said is he studied everything about Leeds as a city, where the mm. people like to go, what they read, how people move through the city. If Bielsa doesn't fall in love with the city, he will not go. He won't go. Bielsa didn't go to Leeds for just the football club. Bielsa went to manage Leeds for the city as a whole. Mm. And then I also watched and seeing like that people saw him walking through the city and he was approachable. And is that something that being there, Mm. is that something that you have seen and felt as far as that he has made it? And the other thing that they talked about is he makes it 
everyone involved from top yeah. to bottom of the club fans supporters kit man administration he makes sure that he's going around and meeting everybody and making everyone feel like they are part of the club which he truly believes they are is that what you've felt as a supporter of the club in the seats as much as anybody else absolutely i think he exudes humility it's a bit of a there's a tension really on the one hand he's all of those things but on the other hand, he's a very private person. And so what he is, what he, I suppose, is an introvert, really, if I was from the outside looking in. But somehow what he's done, he has portrayed himself in a way that people have bought into him. They love the way that he carries himself. He certainly doesn't call himself the special one, although, although a lot of what he does is very, very special. You listen, him to, you listen to him being interviewed, it's always about the players. It's always about the club. In fact, one of the things, the first things he did, and I think this won the hearts and minds of the people because it was different with our squad. One of the first days of training, they're all expecting to kick a ball around and try and impress the coach. He put all the footballs away and he got them walking, not just around the training ground, but around the, the small town where the training ground is. Got them walking around for four hours, wow. picking up litter, picking up trash. Wow. And, and at the end, and the players are all thinking, these are highly paid superstar wannabe players. And at the end of it, he said, I just wanted you to remember what it's like to be somebody out there while you're living their dream, who go to work for 40, 50 hours a week and spend maybe the little money that they have, their hard-earned resources on paying to come and watch you perform. And things like that suddenly just endeared him to the, to the public, endeared him to the players, because I think it took a lot of them by surprise, but they respected what he did. And I don't know of any other coach, I've certainly not heard or read about one who's done something like that, because the, uh, sadly, particularly in when it comes to superstardom and that the tendency is to, particularly in, the, in a world of player power, is to pander to the every whim and every request of the superstar. Yeah. Uh, and yet this was different. I think from that moment, that started to forge something unique in the team, in the organization, something different that we'd never seen before. And it's funny how you can always kind of trace things back to a starting point. And as a result of that, I think because of those things, he really has endeared himself. He, like you say, you see him walking around the city. You'll often see him riding a public bus. A man who's very well recompensed that right. gets on a public bus. Noah lives in a tiny little apartment above a little, little shop. No airs, no graces. And I think certainly for Leeds as a city, I think he saw something in us that reflected some of the things that he stands for. And I also think as well that you look at his managerial history, his coaching history, he's, he's coached at some big clubs, but he's never really coached at the, he's never going to be a Real Madrid manager. Right, right. Because yeah. there's something about that that doesn't fit with, I think he knows his lane. I think he knows what he wants to build and where he can and where he can't build that. And again, I suppose that's a very important lesson, isn't it? About we can't be all things to all men as much as we'd like to. There are lanes for us all. And I think he's very good at, at picking his. I agree with that, all of that. And before we get into the specifics of that, though, which we will, we will dig into that. I want to mine into that a bit more, but I mm. do want to draw back out a little bit more. I love taking the kind of the scene in the forest first, right? So really talk about, I do want to talk about the trees and some of the specific leadership principles. But now I want to start at kind of that 30,000 foot view. A lot of people talk about the importance of a leader, but how has Bielsa shown that a leader can actually be the difference in a mm. squad and in a team and in a club? 
and quite frankly, in a city here, as you said, he has been a leader in the city well mm. beyond the club. And I think part of that comes from the fact that Leeds is, what, the fourth largest city in, in England, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's the only major city to have only one club. So I think part of it comes from that. Mm-hmm. But can you just talk to that, speak to that from, not just from football, but from just life and organizations? Can a leader, and how does a leader, we don't necessarily get into specifics of how does a leader do it, but with Leeds and with Bielsa, and has that have you ever seen that in any other organizations that you've led where the leader makes all the difference in the world? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, we'll, we will get into the specifics, but if I was to bring it back to the lowest common denominator, it would be simply this. The reason why I can tell he has made all the difference is, is simply this results. I've sat through so many leadership seminars and and programs and seven ways to build a business and five ways to to build a thriving church. And at the end of the day, if we're all being honest, if you look at the results, you, you may have enjoyed the program, you may have enjoyed the seminar, you may have had a great time, you may buy all the merchandise. At the end of the day, success is results driven. Now, that can sound a little bit harsh. So let me quantify that by by results. I'm not just talking about are we winning competition by results? I'm talking about how are we doing as a club? How are we doing as an organization? Are we, are we becoming, are we upgrading our skill sets? Are we, are we, are we becoming more compassionate? Are we, are we, it's not just about, are we the biggest? Cause actually I think you can be the biggest and you can lose when you can just look at soccer for some great examples of that. And so they just embark upon the managerial merry-go-round and buying success or attempting to buy success. I look at what he's done, what he's built or what he's building, because he's really, he's only been here a couple of years and it must be working because for 20 years prior to that, nobody's come close, which then begs me, okay, what, what is it that you're doing different? It's not that he's suddenly come in and just bought a whole new roster of players far from it he's pretty much working with the resources that every other coach has had for the past 20 years and every manager has had for the past three or four or five years and i look at him and i just think there must be something about what you're doing that demands my respect and demands my attention because you are producing something on different levels that i've not seen anybody come close to Yeah, you kind of alluded to some of that that I want to dig a little deeper into right now, Mm. which is that he came in and just really changed these same players (laughs) that were playing. And quite frankly, you you say he picked up a couple players. It's not like he came in and brought in the major strikers. He brought in a striker from Middlesbrough, for crying out loud, a guy who no one had heard of before. Who? who was reject, rejected really by Chelsea. They didn't want him, kept farming him out on loan to different mm-hmm. clubs, probably had about seven or eight loan clubs, came to us for the first year and we were thinking like everybody else, he's not good enough. But like you say, suddenly things start to happen. So how is that? How can that be? Yeah, and you know we're talking about Bamford, Patrick Bamford, by the way, if you didn't know. but And he was hurt for a good chunk of that first season, right? But these other players are all of a sudden coming out and – the same players he's making into star, and I remember hearing it on that documentary where he's like Calvin Phillips. He's going to be one of the best in the league. Mm-hmm. You know these other guys. He's going to be one of the best in the league, and that's it's it's just you know it, it you hear about that and you go okay whatever, but then it happens and you go 
wow, yeah. okay, like there's something going on here that's different. So with that, you know, and, and the other thing that you see is you just listen to how his former players talk about him. Listen to how his people he works with talk about him. Listen to how the administration talks about him. Yeah. He's been explained, described really as that teacher. He only takes on big challenges. There's this admiration. I remember hearing Andrew Herrera in that. I liked him a lot more when he was on Manchester United, but he's a phenomenal player. <laughs> it's funny because funny I like him a lot more now. I know you do. I know you do. It's amazing how that works. But but he's talking about just him like really like almost on a pedestal. Yeah. That and it was his former coach. So with that, it really goes to culture. Mm. It really goes to this idea of the leader's philosophy, style, identity, culture. Mm. And we've had a lot of other coaches on this show and they've talked about that where the team really will take on the identity of the manager and coach if they're doing it well. So it better be healthy, right? So yeah. what is that, that that Bielsa has brought to this squad mm-hmm. that is that identity, that philosophy that he brings that you believe from your vantage point has really made the difference? I think he's got them to believe. Let me put it, going back to what you were saying before about Patrick Bamford as, as an example, case in point, and how a coach can get something out of a player, out of a resource that maybe others haven't been able to, even though many have tried. I think there's a difference between, and I I saw this a lot in American sports, actually, when we were out there in in Houston for three years, fell in love with American sports, particularly baseball and and, and American football. And you could see the difference, and it's the same here in the UK, between good, effective coaches and coaches, really, leaders that I, I can describe them no other way than this, trying to surf the wave whether it's the wave of resources, whether it's the wave of just the stars in quotes aligning or or ride the wave of an easy draw or, or whatever. There's a difference between a coach who can pump up and motivate a player as opposed to one who can actually make a player to start believing themselves. Mm-hmm. They're two completely different things. Mm-hmm. And I, I look... I look across our squad uh, of players who, to all intents and purposes, bar one, two, three players that we recruited over the summer, who aren't household names, but, you know, did cost a little bit of money. The squad that he's working with is a championship level squad, the division under the premiership. He's working with players who for years performed at best mid-table, year in, year out. And he's come in. And somehow he's got them to buy into that identity. And I think this is a key as well. He's, he's got them to own it. So they not only buy into it, they own it and they can carry it out when they're on the field of play. For anybody who's kind of been following the, the premiership season this year, here's a great case in point of that in action. We played Manchester City in one of our early games. We had quite a tough start. And we had the first, you've all seen games like this, the first 20 minutes are, are, are games where we hardly touch the ball. Everything we do well, we couldn't do well. And we just couldn't bypass their press. And our playmaker, really, Calvin Phillips, who everything goes through, he's our quarterback, if you like. They were just shutting him down. We couldn't get any passes away. We were hemmed in. They got a goal, looked like we were going to ship four or five. And then suddenly, you could see on the field of play, the, the players themselves starting to think, this isn't working. How am I, how am I going to, where can I position myself on the field? So I can get into a place where I'm effective. Yeah, a coach can shout from the sideline, but when they're doing that and plays in real time, you can shout as much as you you like. Really, a lot of it goes in one ear and goes out the other ear because Mm -hmm. you've got to be able to think, process and adapt in real time. 
and this is this is one of the things really that I, I, I'd contrast with American football. Uh, in soccer, we don't have the luxury of a timeout. In soccer, we don't have a luxury of okay, we're going to exercise this play. Oh, that didn't work. Let's huddle together. Let's try this play. And it's kind of very piecemeal. In in soccer, it's fluid. And so you've got to make sure that your team that you are leading, not only just nod their heads and say, yes, coach, but suddenly buy into and own what you're teaching them so that when the going gets tough out there, they can start to remedy and action solutions and be proactive because what the coach thinks they now think. And it becomes that quick flow of thought and adaptation. And that's been one of the key differences somehow he and obviously i'm not a party to the training field i don't know how he does it in in that sense but to see how he has done that and to see it outplayed on the field of play it's just an incredible thing it really is yeah with that with with your leadership i mean how have you done that with your organizations how have you done that with your staff i mean as you talked about you have this idea that and we'll get I want to get back to that just the actual culture that he has brought in and really the style of play and how he's gotten different people to as you said you're not sure how he has gotten to buy in but I think there is something that is different than how most teams play and I think that's important mm. to talk about a little bit more but I want to stick on this flexibility and adaptability side of things with a leader a leader can be one of two things well not one of two there can be a lot of different things but in this in this instance it can be somebody who is like you said every and I've I've watched soccer games where the coach is literally on the sideline telling each player where to pass. Yeah. And it is like robotic and yeah. and from these girls were 12, 13, 14 up to 16, 17 and it was not fluid, it was just and they were fearing that they were going to be making mistakes. They you know, can't think really, for themselves. Yeah, it, it leads mm. really to a toxic environment. Versus, the, like you said, where you instill in them what you want them to know, who you want them to be, what your culture is, who you are mm. as an organization, who you are as a team, your style, and you say, go. Yeah. And then they have freedom within those parameters. They have freedom mm. within that structure, which usually leads to, to the best. But how have you been able to do that outside the pitch when you're in these different organizations? Or how have you seen other leaders do that? Yeah, what that has taught me, and this is quite a humbling lesson, because human beings, we, we can, if we don't renew our minds, we, we can be the kings of deflection or uh, if only, or if I had this. And what seeing what has happened in my club over the past couple of years has taught me is this as a leader. Most of the time, everything you need for the next step, you already have. It's under your nose. The problem is a lot of the time we don't see it. So I think you've raised it already, Phil, that you alluded to it in the video that you saw, the Take Me Home. Here comes Marcelo Bielsa, and he's saying about Calvin Phillips. And that was actually at his uh, job interview when the directors of the club flew out to Argentina to talk about mm -hmm. his appointment. And, uh, and when they sat around a table, it turns out that he'd watched every game from the past three seasons, every minute of every game, in the space of a week, had analysed all the players didn't even know the players by name, but knew them by number. And he could, and these were players that most of us as fans, we wanted them out. They weren't good enough. They're not going to make the grade. And it was at that moment that he was saying, I'm going to make Calvin Phillips the best central defensive midfielder. He wasn't even a central defensive midfielder when he said that. He was a box-to-box, -box, you know, an eight or, or, or pushing a 10. He said, I'm going to make him a, I call him a four, but a defensive midfielder. And he had a unique ability 
to see the potential in what was already there, what everybody else was saying was not good enough, would not work. And it's so therefore it's taught me this. I might not have everything that I need in whatever I'm building, whatever I'm working on, whatever team I'm trying to put out on the field. But a lot of what I do need or that will help me to get there, I already have, which then forces me to, to think and to concede. Well, if there's no one there to help me in the right sense, I don't need that help. Sure, there's a time when we all need that help and we, we all need that investment and we all need that opportunity and for, for that door to open. But for me to make the next step, what can I work with? Who can I develop? Who can I who can I make believe in themselves? And and I've seen it in I've seen it in church life, I've seen it in education, because I'm an educator as well by profession. When you do that and when the light switches on in that person, whether it be a player, whether it be a student, whether it be someone in your church family, when the light goes on and they realize that they can perform or achieve or do something that maybe for years they were told or they were even telling themselves they could never be or never do. I don't think in life you can get anything that is as pure or as rewarding as that. And so I really try and utilize that the best because it's so easy to be cynical, to dismiss, to think, like I said earlier, if only, you know, if, if only I just had a few more people, if only I had a few more resources, I could open this, this part to my, add this part to my business. And then suddenly we'd break through in that area. If only you cannot live life, you cannot build in the land of if if only. And uh, that's been one of the biggest lessons that I am learning and like I say, I've, I've heard people talk about it in leadership seminars, but in all honesty, this is probably one of the few places where I've seen it outworked and it's a great principle to live by. Yeah, it's interesting. And actually the, the work you're, that your dad and I do in international different uh, work yeah. going on all around the world in the context of orphan and vulnerable children, you hear that all the time. If only mm. we had more money, if only we had more people, if there only we had more of this. And what you know, your dad and I do a lot of is, is really just speaking that truth into people that, look, you guys mm. have so many strengths here that are so much more valuable than you see and you know. How can you use those to do this work that really will likely be much more effective than if you bring people from the outside who don't know your culture and don't know who you are and don't know the the style that you are working in, in your your community and the relationships and all these other things. So, And you see that on the football pitch too, right? You see yeah. that all the time when you bring in this other player. And they theoretically are great, but they play for themselves or they don't know the culture or they don't know the style or they, they're used to playing a different formation. And it takes them a while and sometimes they never get it. Sometimes yeah. they just don't fit in that culture. Mm. And so that's something that I that I absolutely agree on. And I have all kinds of memories we're not going to get into today on that. But I do want to get back to that DNA of the team, really that culture. And you, you talked about it earlier and you alluded to it with Bielsa where you talked about his humility. Jim Collins talks about that where you need that level five leader has that humility, but he also has that professional will. And really, I think that professional will, the humility is, is really that learning posture. What an amazing story. He watched three years of matches yeah. to understand this game. He didn't even know he was taking the job yet, right? And as, and as supporters, we couldn't even bring ourselves to watch 70 minutes, never mind 90 <laughs> minutes of abject garbage. And in it all could see the gold. And I'm aware that sounds like a cliche, but that is fact. That is exactly what happened. 
Absolutely. And it's, it's true. And so as he comes in with that humility, but also he has that professional will and with that professional Mm. will, he knows who he is. And Mm. so can you talk about that part that I think the way you talked about it when we were having a conversation beforehand, preparing for this episode, you talked about it like not every business is Apple. Leads will never be Man United. And those are very neutral comments. Some people would go, oh, well, why wouldn't you want to shoot? Well, you know what? You're just different. Mm. And that's not only okay, that's what makes this world a very exciting and interesting place, but it's also what makes these different organizations and clubs special. So Mm. what is it that Bielsa brings to Leeds United that is different? And how do you think, you said you're not on the pitch, but how do you think, based on what you've watched in the show, based on what you've seen in the city, Mm. that he has gotten this team to buy into a very unorthodox approach, especially in today's, it's really not unorthodox 30, 40 years ago, but in today's day and age, it's a very unorthodox approach to the game. Well, that's a very good question. And it's a question which I think is very timely because due to the wonders of podcasting, you and I can't guarantee when people are going to watch this or listen to it. So if I can just date stamp or time reference this, Leeds as a, as a team at the moment, we've kind of hit a little bit of a sticky patch. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of not great results. The league at the minute is very compact. So our, our position is we're two thirds of the way down the table, but it's all compact and a couple of good results. So nobody's panicking. But already amongst some of the fans, there's talk about it's not working. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's amazing how after 20 years where it definitely did not work, suddenly we're in a better place than we've ever been because of yeah. one man's vision. And people are very quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater or suddenly to question what got you there. And I think a lot of the time it's because people are, I I put it this way, the curse of imitation. Imitation is a dangerous thing. And we see it, I see it in ministry. People want to be like Mm. the people that they feel are success. I'll often ask people, what is success to you? And I always get different answers. Like we were talking the other time, not every business is Apple. Not every business is the big success. Not every retail outlet is Target. Just proving there that I know a little bit about America. That I live yeah, there, I got it. You're getting, trying to get street cred over here. I got it. Good. <laughs> Not every church is, is like the church. And, and again, for football organizations, clubs, not every club can be a Liverpool. Not every, not every team can be a Galactico. So what is it that you bring? What is it that you can be? Because if you try and if you try and be a preacher like somebody else, you'll never do it and they'll see through you. If you try and if you try and be a manager like somebody else, you may pull it off for one, two, three years, but you'll never last beyond that because suddenly what looked like it was working will start to fall apart because the foundations aren't there or the character is not there and you start falling out with your players or your players fall out with you and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff. And I've seen that with our club we have a very distinct way of playing that we've talked about that, that, that the players have bought into. And I think the reason why it is proving to be successful to a degree and that the players are buying into it because there's a big price to pay for how we play physically. It's, it's very demanding. The players are also seeing that it is working and every human being loves to be a part of something or feel connected to something that is working. We see that in church. If there's church scandal, half your congregation will be out through the door, regardless of them investigating the rights and the wrongs and the truth and the whatever. And because people don't want to be associated with failure. And I look at our club and I look at our players 
and the messages that are being communicated to them. Imagine this, a right back following the left winger all the way over to the opposite side of the field of play. Most coaches will be saying, what are you doing? Keep mm -hmm. your shape. Mm -hmm. But actually, we don't have a shape. We, we have a, a kind of a fluid, moving, mega morphing, whatever you want to call it. And that's why you'll hear every opponent that we play come after and say, we've never come up against that. It is a different way of playing football. And I think the coach has this mentality. And I think it's risky, but I think it's also positive. He feels like the game, in his eyes, should be played a certain way. So if we're going to play it, we're going to play it in a way that reflects us. Not just the coach, but also the players that have bought into it. Um, I look at the EPL history over the past couple of years, particularly the clubs that come up, bar the odd exception. Most of them come up, dispense with the majority of the players that got them there, and try to find a new way of playing to survive. Yep. Spend a heck of a lot of money doing it and invariably get relegated. And then they have the debt to deal with. And then it creates a bit of a vicious cycle. Whereas I think our coach and another Sheffield United is another example from mm -hmm. getting promoted last season and they had a great first year. They've come up and they've decided this is what got us here. These are the players that pretty much got us here. So with a little bit of tweaking, we're going to continue the same way. And if it's not good enough, or if we fail, or if we get knocked out, we would rather be carried out on our shield than to try and imitate somebody else and be somebody we're not. And interestingly enough, I think a lot of the successful coaches understand that. You'd hear a Pep Guardiola talk glowingly about Marcelo Bielsa. But he will also honestly say the way he sees football, the way I see football, Pochettino as well. The way, and they, they would consider themselves disciples, if you like, of Bielsa. Right. But they will say, we see the game differently to him. Yep. So even when he's coaching or mentoring, he's not molding them to be mini hymns. He's giving them what they need to become them. And I think he's doing that with the team. So we've got a bunch of average players now who realize that they can compete at this level. And suddenly that does something to you that actually I can be confident in how we view the game. We can be confident of what we stand for as a team. Yes, we may take a couple of heavy negative results and we have done, but on the plus side, we're gonna win more than we lose. Yeah. To succeed in the premiership, you're not gonna succeed by drawing a bunch of games and having a tight defense. The only way you're gonna stay up and succeed in the premiership as a new club is to score goals. Yeah. Because every team that gets relegated usually gets relegated because they can't score goals. And that's all the way we set up, the way we play. Is, is geared to that. If you score three, we're going to try and score four. Now, sometimes as a supporter, that we, I watched the game last night and I, we were tearing out. We're yeah. so open. We're so exposed. What, what, are, what are seven players doing charging into the penalty area? And, yep. But that's the way he is. And you'll take the negatives because you think actually in the bigger scheme of things, this is what got us there. And I would rather beat us and not make it than be somebody else and fail, be somebody else and, and just about make it. And actually, I think the reality is we will be fine. And yeah, I am aware that I've just rambled for a whole lot of time there, Phil. I don't no, know that was good. That's good. Tell me if you agree with this. Here's, here's my theory on it. From a leadership perspective, I'm curious to hear if you being over there, I'm obviously all the way out here in California, so I may know nothing about it. But watching what I watch, watching the team play, knowing what I know about leadership, I, I really believe that he came in and I didn't even know that story about walking around the community, but just when mm. he came in, what did he do? 
he didn't come in and just say, I know everything, I'm going to do everything. He hired a leadership team around him, or they did as a club as well, mm-hmm. but he hired the people that he knew would come in, be stronger, smarter than him to be able to help round out his leadership. Do you want to know what's interesting about that? Sorry to interject. No, go um, for it. And you don't see this often. He bought with him the team that he takes with him everywhere which is another leadership principle really about who you walk life with and who is your close circle, who are your trusted sounding boards. These guys are guys who have been with him pretty much day in, day out through it. So at Marseille for the, for the five minutes he was at Lazio and then that all didn't work out for promises that were broken and whatnot in Spain, these, this pretty much this core of people have traveled with him. And there was only one guy in Leeds who he kind of bought into the team. And, and that's so we didn't bring in a, a, a lot right. of outside voices, but but absolutely. Carry on, Phil. Well, absolutely. I, I love it. I love the commentary. This is good. Mm. This is good. And then because I, I do want you to correct me or help me to frame it a bit more. But the club itself as well. So that owner you talked about earlier, he didn't just yeah. go, I'm doing it. He brought in those other people from different perspectives to say, as a great leader does. So you see this from top to bottom and the players are watching this unfold. Mm. So then he comes in, does these things to build trust. I mean, that's really what he does when he walks around the community. That's what he Mm. does when he has these meetings. That's what he does when he's sharing Mm. with them what they do. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes out. He's on the field. You watch him out there in the training. He's getting there. He's pushing them to be to their limits. He's running the crud out of them. And they say that there's one thing he does. They're going to be fit. They're not going to be the ones who are the least fit on that team ever. And if they are, he's going to run them harder that next week. I mean, I loved when it was talking about how with one of the teams he had, he built bungalows there at the training pitches where they would stay overnight. I mean, that's just crazy talk, right? Where a lot of players yeah. would go, no way. But because he built... Sounds like a cult, right? It sounds crazy. Right? That's <laughs> nuts. Right? I mean, as as in most players, especially these, a lot of them, like you said, they're prima donnas, but he brings in these players mm. that he has studied and he says, these are the players that are going to be my players. Mm. They're going to get, and I'm going to build trust with them. And then the other way I build trust is not just on that pitch, but it's when I do these interviews. So mm. then they interview him about when they lost and they brutal playoff loss to Darby mm. County after they're up in the away though they say no other team has ever not made it after winning the away leg in the championship playoff and they did and what does he do he comes out and says it's my fault I take full responsibility for that mm. that builds trust Absolutely. that's that humility and then they say okay whatever you say I'm going to follow you. And that's what we talk about with leadership is that Mm. leadership is influence. It's not title. It's not this, this position that you have. It is that influence. And, you know, I always have talked about it in the sense of as a true leader, you help people want to do the things that you want them to do on their own when they want to do it. And because they see and they know not just, oh, we're going to win, but we're going to be better people Mm. we're going to be better players we're going to be a better team and heck you didn't say this but they come out in the first match ever or first match in the premier league after winning promotion and lose four to three against the defending champion liverpool Mm. who who was killing everybody last year and not not giving up a lot of goals mind you Mm -hmm. and this was before they had all the injuries to their defense Mm -hmm. and they put up three on them like Mm. that's that says a lot so anyway what do you think of that that was just kind of a little diatribe there, more yeah. than I usually interject. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that from a different vantage point and someone who has been right in the thick of it there. Yeah, I think that whole area of trust that you talk about 
is key because it's the foundation that allows the players to perform. For us, in, if you're in business, in, in, in whatever field of work you, you are or calling, without the trust of those that you're working with, there is no foundation to build. And I've seen that in the club. And when those around you now start to demonstrate trust and take on the characteristics. So I'm not talking about becoming a clone, but you start to imbibe that DNA so that it becomes your identity. It then starts to seep its way through the organization. So here's, here's a story that was, that was great. It, it's probably about a year ago, Leeds were linked with signing a player. And I think the coach rated him and, and we've got a, a guy in the club who does all our transfer business and signing players. And he's the, he's the very eccentric Spanish guy, Victor Orta, that if you've yeah. seen, the, yep. seen the documentary on Amazon. And, and then anyway, so there were talks with this, uh, about signing this guy. And anyway, there was also this other kid just coming through the ranks, doing great, a, a hot prospect, just a young kid. And you know what? It's like young kids. We see it at clubs the world over. You, you'll see it at your club, Phil. We see kids do silly things. And, uh, and so one of the times this kid just comes into training, and a kid who's not really broken into the first team yet, but comes in, kitted, kitted out in all this designer gear, carrying the Prada designer kind of man bag, and just waltzes into the training thing to do his workout. And a couple of the senior pros just pulled him to one side in a very calm, measured way, and basically tore a strip off him to say, listen, you might be able to do that elsewhere, mm. but A, you've not earned the right to do that, and B, you look around this room. Do you see us doing that? Do you see us carrying ourselves that way? So the next time you come into this room, make sure you reflect who we are. Mm. And that wasn't the coach. That wasn't the leadership team hauling them into the disciplinary office and, and all of that kind of thing. But from that place of trust and confidence and everybody now, not just singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, that that's, you can sing from the same hymn sheet and then you can put the sheet down and pick up another one if you don't like the song. But now suddenly the song, it comes from within, the, yeah. the vision comes from within. Suddenly now everybody's speaking the same language. And, and that's when I really believe that success, momentum, which is a huge thing when you're trying to build something, suddenly starts to increase. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that, as you said, it stems from the trust because if you don't trust the person, then you're not going to listen to anything they're saying. But if you yeah. do trust them and you see that they care, mm. then you'll go to battle for them. Absolutely. And, with them. and so with that, we talk about inspiration. Leaders inspire. And leaders inspire in different ways. But what, what does that look like with Bielsa? What, what does his inspiration look like? How does he inspire the team and the club and really, quite frankly, the supporters as well to be what they need to be? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one because, as, as I said earlier, he's a man of few words. I, I don't know if you've ever seen him interviewed after a match. Oh, no, I have. Finished. Absolutely. So it's he looks like he, it's the last place on earth he'd rather be. <laughs> he looks at the floor. He doesn't make eye contact it's like he speaks in a very <laughs> in a very monotone kind of way there's there's no emotion now to put no emotion into the spanish language is something because it's a very melodic language you know it's not german it's melodic it's it's up and down and it's yeah. emotive mm -hmm. and so actually all the stereotypical signs of charisma the things that we've traditionally equated with oh, he's a charismatic leader yeah he's an extrovert Oh, my coach had them headbutting the lockers before they came out of the locker room. We're going to tear it up and, and we're shouting in the face of the opposition. And actually, I think there's something in life about 
calmness, instilling calmness that enables functionality. If you rely on emotion, if you rely on all those things that are here one moment and then gone the next, you can be up there and flat the next, you're in trouble. And I think one of the ways He's not particularly hands-on, by the way, from what I hear and read and see in coaching. He's, he's present, but he's, he's developed, he's, he's quite withdrawn in terms of day-to-day input with his players. But there's a way that he carries himself. There's a way that when he speaks to them and how he speaks to them makes the players feel like there is that connection. And that has got to be a difficult thing to pull off. And I'm not even saying that's what we should all imitate because we can't all do that. If, if some of us withdrew from people, they'd think, why is that person so aloof? But he knows his strengths. I'm sure he knows his weaknesses. And so he's made sure he's developed his managerial leadership style amongst what he already knows he's good at and what he isn't. What he's not good at, he's not trying to bluff or fake or convince people that he is right. you know, the, good at. I, I don't know if that makes sense. but It does. Um, it does. Yeah, there's a way that he carries himself that just makes his players believe it's okay. And I am good enough. Yeah. And that is priceless. People will go the extra mile for you. Yeah. If as a leader, you can make them feel like they're not being judged. And you know, in sports, we're always being judged because you're on the team sheet one week and maybe not the next, but the amount of times I've seen him believe in people and nurture players through that we were ready to cast to the bench and never, never wanted to see them pull the shirt on again. Yeah. And suddenly now you look at them, you think, ah, maybe they can do a job. And there is that quality of stillness, I think, that he brings. But anyway, I don't know what you make of that. I think that that's something that I agree with. And I think that one of the things we've talked a lot on the show is the idea of the different personalities and really studying Mm. your players. But it starts with studying yourself. And I see with Bielsa a man who knows himself. And maybe he maybe he's faking all of us, but it just totally seems that he gets who he is. He knows who he is and he builds that trust in the players. Yes, but he is constant and he's consistent. And as you said, not every manager is going to be that guy. Mm. Not every manager is going to be that calm presence. Some of them will be that more, just that typical, quote unquote, typical inspirer. Like my personality is more of that, mm. where I'm going to be more vocal. I'm going to be more of that out there in front of people leader, that he's really that leader who is just that quiet confidence that he is instilling. And that is what he is bringing to it. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier to know who you are, to know your philosophy, to know what culture you are bringing to this and to be consistent with that across the board. Mm. And one of the things that he said in that documentary really, I think, hit me that this is why I believe what I believe about him is he said, mm. you can't convince the players of something you don't believe in. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And especially when you built that trust with them and they, you are consistent with them. When you say something you don't believe in, it's obvious that you don't believe in it. Mm. But if you say stuff, if you built that trust with them over the time that you've been with them and you say stuff, no matter how you say it, it will, in it, or actually not no matter how you say it, if, as long as you say it in a way that is consistent with who you are with them, they will believe it and they will mm-hmm. want to follow it if you are in fact that leader. So that's, that's what I, that's what I see with it. I, I don't know. Anything mm-hmm. to add to that? No, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. It's, and again, I bring it back to where I started. You'd never have to look too far in life to see whether something's working or not in sports. 
decisions are made sometimes too hastily but people are concluding this is working or this is not working time for him to go time for us to try something different we were talking about weren't we at the beginning about clubs with managers maybe still trying to find their identity and we see that struggle being outworked before our very eyes and and players who are talented players who are gifted suddenly looking like really should they be on the field because are looking bang average not because they are bang average but because now suddenly there's no trust there's no confidence and it gets so therefore there's no foundation to perform and i'm constantly amazed at how often we see that short-term nature in sports i appreciate there's a lot of money involved i appreciate everybody wants to win but sometimes some of the changes that are hastily made are done at the expense of the future and jesus said something interesting didn't he sorry i didn't mean to bring it back to but hey i'm a pastor so i'm 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 gonna gonna just but he gave an account about uh, just talking about a tree and he says when you when you're digging that tree when you're looking after that tree give it a few years give it give it two years give it three years if it's not producing anything after the next then cut it down i'm not saying every manager every coach gets four years no far from it but you've got to give something enough time to see whether there are any shoots there so there you go. Well, you know, Alex Ferguson got about three years. Yeah, from- he was two games from the from being fired. That's right. And yet somebody thought, do you know what? I can see something. And history was then made and right. speaks for itself. That's Sometimes right. I think we're hasty. We're too hasty. Goes back again to what I was saying about working what's with already within your hands. Maybe we've all benched some people in our different outlooks in life and not because they're not good enough but maybe we've not been able to see how they're being deployed or what's in them maybe we're deploying them poorly (laughs) maybe they haven't got a left foot but we keep putting them on the left wing (laughs) maybe they're a goalkeeper but they can't catch you know (laughs) again we've got to take that responsibility absolutely how many wingers have become outside backs so with that you talk about the future Mm. here's the thing about a lot of these whether you want to call them celebrity leaders or just very strong leaders in mm. organizations that have turned it around and developed a culture that is unorthodox, that is different. So how do you prepare for the future with that? Any great leader will prepare for his or her departure and set up the organization for success after their departure. Yeah. What does that look like in a football club, particularly Mm. when Bielsa is so different from the rest? I mean, really, I don't know of another, maybe back in 15 with Leicester, when they had a very similar attacking, very forward, just let's go after it. But they had a bit more defensive mindset as well than Leeds. It's hard to be less. I mean, his basically is, his defense is a strong attack, which is what I remember hearing some of my coaches back in the early 90s. How do you prepare for that? that future for for his departure in that culture of the club to say it's not always going to be Bielsa it's there's going to be somebody else in every organization there will be somebody else if it's a strong organization and it's not totally dependent on that person I think a couple of things in response to that firstly I'm praying that day never comes but we all know it will so we do we joke uh, with my friends and my family we joke that well we're going to enjoy this ride while it lasts because this time next year we'll probably have Sam Allardyce and no disrespect to Sam Allardyce, by the way, he was successful in how he sees and how he views and how he outworks it. But we know that a day is coming. I mean, he's a 65 year old man living away from home, has pretty much done that most of his professional life. I think we as supporters are very aware of the personal sacrifice that he has made. That's why traditionally, wherever he has gone, he has worked on the basis with the various organizations of our, I don't want a long term contract. 
I will work on a rolling year to year, 12 month agreement, Mm -hmm. which is how it's always been with Leeds. So every end of every year we think, okay, is, is, is he coming back? And, and we, we know that he is, but we know that day's coming when he isn't. And so I'm going to answer your question from a fan's point of view. And then from a leader's perspective, from a fan's point of view, we're dreading it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're realists and we know we have no divine right to succeed. We know that football is cyclical. I mean, look at your team at the moment. Yeah. You have the, the glory years of the 90s and the early noughties. And now it's cyclical. Liverpool in the 80s and then relatively barren. And then it's starting to come through Manchester City for years. Nowhere and have gone built on a different model, but got a great coach. And, and, and so it's been their season and, and you get the occasional Leicesters. And so we're realists. We know where we are. We know that it won't last forever. The nature of football is you will win some and you will lose some and enjoy the good times and suck up the bad times. Now, from an organization's point of view, how are we preparing and how are we looking forward? One of the things that has delighted me is our team name is Leeds United. For the past 20 years, we probably could have been renamed Leeds Disunited (laughs) or Leeds Dysfunctional. Because now as an organization, we've had crazy owners. We've had owners who've been out there for their own agenda. We've had owners who have taken out without putting much in. We've had owners who've used us as a stepping stone. We've had owners who have taken the club and withdrawn it from the city. So now there's no, there, or there was no chemistry between the club and the city that it was representing. And so actually, even though we've talked about Marcelo Bielsa a lot in this, in this podcast, a lot of credit has to go to the owner, Andrea Radzani, because he's been totally different to what we've had before. And yes, he, along with Victor Orta and the chief executive, Angus Kinnear, had the vision to go and get a Marcelo Bielsa. But at the same time, they built the foundations as now a club, as a family club, to now reconnect with all of the different areas of the city that it used to, but for the past 15, 20 years, it hasn't. So it's built relationships. It's working in partnership with many different charities and social enterprises. It's doing so much good in the community, working with underprivileged kids and not just football education, but education at large. And remember at the the beginning, I was talking about what is success. If it's just about how you are and how many games you win, then that's a small definition of success, which ultimately will not fulfill because it is cyclical. But now if you add into that other areas, which maybe aren't celebrated as much from the TV screens and from the bleachers and the stands and all that kind of stuff, but you see, here we are contributing to a city. Here we are contributing to a community at large. And here we see now the community connecting with us and buying into us. Then you start to see success that I believe that has every chance of being longer lasting and more fruitful. So I think all those building blocks are being put in place. Yes, Marcelo Bielsa, we may get one year, two years, three years tops out of him, but he will also know because it's not all about him and we're starting to see it. He will be putting things in place for the team post Bielsa. And it is my hope and it's my prayer that what he's building will last because you'll have seen it. Oftentimes new people come in and they do away with the old and just want to assert themselves. And I think that's something we sometimes badly do in church, in ministry, in business. There is a place for honoring the past 
not that it becomes crippling or sets an unattainable bar, but there is a place for that. So a fan's perspective and a, and a, and a businessman's yeah. perspective, they're two different things, but hey, that's sports, isn't it? Absolutely. And I also think that talking about sports, unfortunately, and maybe fortunately, depending on which side of it you're on, when a new manager comes in, they typically completely change everything. And when it was a healthy culture before, that could be really bad for the organization. But when it was a toxic, unhealthy organization before, then it's usually a good thing. And so you even mm. see that with toxic organizations when a manager comes in who has a healthy mindset, that team usually has a bounce where mm. they'll win a bunch of games. You saw that with Solskjaer coming in yeah. after Mourinho. But the, the interesting thing you talked about with Bielsa is when you have a humble manager, they'll usually come in and be able to examine and analyze the best leaders that I've seen come in and say, okay, what are the really, really good things about the culture Yeah, currently? How can we maximize that and make it our own? It's interesting, one of our old, and this, this relates to a lot of different things, and we'll kind of end on this and then come into the next question, which are the last couple questions I have for our guest. But it was actually one of our former guests, Eric Pfeiffer, who we had this chance meeting in the airport, which was a pretty amazing story in itself, but we won't get into that. But he had me share about when I had taken over the organization that I currently run, and I say taken over, it wasn't a coup, it was actually just, that's how it happened. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said talk to me about your vision and so I shared the vision and he goes that doesn't sound like your vision because mm. I hadn't made it to be me as the leader yet I basically aired on the other side which was coming in to just take on what that past guy did mm. that's not healthy either because that leader needs to say this is my yeah. leadership here not in an arrogant way but in a I am the leader, that professional will side of things, but also have that humble posture of what can I learn from the prior leader that that was my predecessor because mm. there's got to be a lot of good that was there. And it was. There was a ton of good. And so that's what I did. I studied, okay, what are the great things? And then where do we want to go? And how do we combine that together? And so that would come, a lot of that would come from that continuity of that top-level leadership. I mean, an interesting story there, if I can just throw that in it just absolutely backs up what you're saying Leeds is probably most successful most famous manager it was Don, a guy called Don Revy mm -hmm. and he was our manager in during the 60s and that period of time when we were like the footballing force in the UK and he then went long story short he was promoted to the England job so he became the national team coach his replacement was a football coach that I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard of a guy a wonderful guy, a guy called Brian Clough mm -hmm. full of charisma very talented, well-respected, had a, a particular view about how the game should be played, which was at odds with how Don Reby, Don Reby, our previous coach, felt the game should be played. And going back to new coming in and not being able to handle the, the old, it's, it's kind of folklore now here in the UK. And But one of the first things he said to the players in the first training sessions, because he thought that Leeds were a dirty team, an aggressive team, that they won really by bullying rather than playing the beautiful game. And so he said to these players who were Norman Hunter, Billy Bremner, household names, footballers who will go down in the Hall of Fame. And he said, right then, and I'll clean up what he actually said, but he said, you might as well throw all your medals in the bin because you've only won them by cheating. Hmm. Now imagine saying that to now your resource that you're working right. with. Right. Suddenly now there's a chasm between the coach 
and the players, it doesn't matter how great your insight is, doesn't matter how great you are at analysing and, and making decisions and strategically tweaking and doing, he had now alienated himself from his resource. And as a result, he lasted 44 days and got fired. So that all ties in with what you were saying there about embracing, learning. Yeah, you may think differently about A, B and C, but just because somebody else thought differently doesn't mean that they were wrong. Maybe there's there's things that can help you crystallize and and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yes. absolutely agree with that. Definitely. There actually is a movie about that entire story. I can't say the title on this show because it may put yeah. us into the explicit category, but yeah. I will put it in the show notes. Absolutely. And, uh, you can check it's a good it watch. You can check it's it out. It is a great, it is a great film. So the last couple questions, one is how have you applied the lessons you've learned directly from the game of soccer in your marriage and parenting in your home using these things you've learned? Yeah. If I was to bring it down to one thing, which I've tried to live my life by before I came across this phrase, which actually is the club's phrase. We have this saying, and it's simply this side before self mm. in everything that we do side before self. So as a team, we are not a team with a star player that we build around. That's not us. We certainly don't have the budget for that. Quite frankly, I'm quite relieved we don't have the drama that comes with that and all of that things being played out in the media. and all. But that whole thing about side before self, there are great things that I bring to the table as a, as a player, but it's the team. And so as a father, as a mother, sorry, as a mother, no, I'm not that kind of guy. Yes, you're not as that a, yet. As a father, as a, as, a, as a husband is what I was going to say. <laughs> Even as a leader, as a pastor, I always have to ask myself, okay, am I making this decision because it makes my life easier? It reflects well on me. I remember one of the first, I don't know if I should be saying this, but <laughs> I remember one of the first staff meetings. I was saying earlier on, I've led churches of all sorts of shapes and sizes. One of the biggest churches that I led was in England and it was a thousand people, which for UK churches is pretty big. Hannah and I, we have a very, I love my wife, married 21 years and we're very open. And so we took over this church. The first staff meeting that we had, we were all sat in the boardroom and I don't know, 15 or so people just in a team just sat around that table and we're making plans and we're doing all this and what should we do and, and initiatives and all of that. And suddenly my wife and I were always bouncing ideas, agreeing, disagreeing, challenging, pushing back, but in, in, in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And we were aware that as time was going on and we're asking people for ideas, the only two people, it started, everybody was chipping in. After about 10, 15 minutes, the only two people around the table talking were my wife and I. <laughs> and it went something along this. Well, I, I think we should, along these kind of lines. Well, I, I think we should do this. No, I don't think we should do that. That's not going to work, is it? I mean, why would you want to do that? Well, I, I want to do that because I think this could happen. And, and suddenly there was just silence <laughs> around the table. And what that showed me was how uncomfortable many people are in disagreement. If you cannot be comfortable in disagreement, you'll never build anything mm. as long as disagreement doesn't become personal. And so as a husband, as a leader, I now have to make sure that I listen and I take it at face value. You'd be amazed the amount of husbands who try and shut their wives down because they would rather be seen to be right rather than actually be right. Yeah. They would rather be seen to have the idea when we all know it came from her. <laughs> and that whole ethos of side before self, the decisions that I make for my children, it's because I want them to succeed. I want them to fulfill 
all that as a, as a believer, what I believe God has placed in them, the decisions that I make career wise, the decisions that I make, I don't want to build something that's at the expense of my family. The most precious side that I will ever be a part of is my family unit. So now I've got to make sure that what I'm building out there in work, in business, in ministry, does, am I putting another side above the side that really counts? And when you can get that right at home, rather than that being a hindrance to what you're trying to build, actually, it gives you the trust, the confidence and the platform to build effectively. So I don't get it right all the time, as Hannah would say if she was on this interview with us. So forgive me, everybody. I'm aiming. I'm striving to be a better husband that you all are. Uh, uh, I don't get it right all of the time, but that is something that I try and come back to side before self side. Nobody wants to win alone. You win alone, you'll be lonely. So yeah, that would be the thing that I try and live by. That's fantastic. And there are so many opportunities, both on the soccer pitch as well as in the home to Mm. put self before side. Absolutely. And and to have a healthy team, to have a healthy, just the way you can, as leaders, if you're doing that, you're not leading. Mm. And just plain and simple. And the other thing you said there is that conflict, that healthy conflict that's so important. And there's a great, one of my favorite quotes on teamwork and leadership and just the healthy teams is with the, by Patrick Lencioni where he said, mm. when there is trust, conflict becomes the search for truth. Mm. When there's no trust, conflict becomes politics and having to be right. And go. I think that that is so so important for leaders to know and to remember. And then the other thing that he talks about is if it's a healthy, great meeting, there's nothing left to talk about after the Mm. meeting in Mm. the hallways. There's nobody, no talking behind the backs, no other things. So, so with that, the last question we ask all of our guests is what have you read, watched, or listened to recently, or just in your life that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? Do you know, it's, Again, I suppose I come back to my answer to that question will be everything that I've just talked about. (laughs) Really, the the last two and a half years, (laughs) better than any book that I've read, because I've seen it play out before my very eyes. I've seen, we all talk about turning an organization around. Well, I've seen it turn. I've kind of grown up in churches talk about, we're going to do this and we're going to accomplish this and we're going to start this and... And we talk and we talk and we talk and we never do it. We, we never build it. We never, we never contribute. We never, nothing appreciates because we are there. Mm. And yet I see what has happened within. And I feel very privileged actually to be a, a supporter of a club where this could have happened anywhere, but this journey has happened in a location that is precious to me. Yeah. And maybe because of that, I'm not looking at this through through rose-tinted spectacles. Maybe because of that, I'm aware that it, it, it may hit home to me more than most. I get that. I'm not expecting everybody to become a dyed-in-the-wall Leeds United fan. After. In fact, <laughs> if anything, it probably has further entrenched their opposition. So I'm hoping people can glean between the, the fans further and the leadership principles. Yeah. But to see the journey, I've got to say, it's just been wonderful to see a man have the confidence to be himself and to put a marker down and to invest in a bunch of people that everybody had thought would never make it. And suddenly here we are, as you can probably tell, 
I don't even think I could put that into words eloquently enough. It has impacted me tremendously. And I'd encourage anybody to watch that documentary on Amazon. I'd encourage anybody to read any of his stuff, particularly if they've got that coaching. Frank Lampard the other day, and you know Frank Lampard and Marcelo Bielsa have a bit of history, Mm. but he will always be respectful about the man's coaching, will refer to his coaching literature that he's produced. And, And how can it not impact I suppose I, I, my last thing that I've got to say, if you don't have any more questions is, and this is what I love about him. There was a tweet that came out the other day, so I hope I get this right. And uh, it was in an article that somebody had written. And uh, Marcelo Bielsa started his coaching journey with a, a club in, in Brazil called Newell's Old Boys. And uh, he was a player. He was never the greatest player. Interesting, isn't it, eh? How It's usually not the best players that make the best coaches. Yep. And so he, coaches were appointed at junior level in his club. And so he's retired as a player. So this, first of all, the hot prospect, recently retired player gets the best players. And then the guy kind of just below him gets the next pool of players. You know, he picks the next. And so Marcelo Bielsa is left with the leftovers to compete in another, a different league. And so at the club, they'd all be playing, training, and all these other groups were playing with the ball playing football, they'd be laughing, they'd be joking. First training session, Marcelo says, put the footballs away. Put your bibs down. And he says, for this whole session, I just want you to run. So they ran. Next day, I want you to run. And they ran. Third day, same again. And by now, the, guy, the, the kids are saying, why are we doing all this running? Why, why, can you not see them over there? They're playing, they're having fun. They're learning, they're doing shape. And he said this, he says, by the end of this season, we will outperform those other teams and we will win the competition that we were in. And sure enough, what happened is they did. That's exactly how it turned out. But the point is this, in one of the coaching sessions, one of the players, one of the kids said to him, Marcelo Bielsa asked the question, one of the kids answered. He asked the question, in a game, how many opportunities do you think that there are realistically to score a goal? So the kids are looking around at one another thinking, I don't know, maybe four five, six, maybe 10, if you're lucky. And then out of nowhere, he replies, he said, no, I've analysed this. There are over 600 opportunities. Now, I don't know where he got that from. Within 90 minutes of play to score a goal. That is why I make you run. That is why all my teams will be fitter than any other, because we will utilise every moment, every second of every game to get the victory. And again, that ties back to analysis, that ties back to his ability to see not just the minutiae, but also the bigger picture. And when I hear things like that, and then when I see it outwork on the field of play, I'm like, how, how can I not be impacted by this man? And so I think I answered about four questions you didn't ask there, but anyway, that's, it's all good. <laughs> that's where a lot of the, the gold comes from though. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to be a part of this. And I just, I look forward to getting this out to everybody because I have no doubt it will help others to learn little nuggets and some really big things as well. So thanks a lot, Mark. There you go. And in three years time, when Sam Allardyce is our manager, come and interview me again and you'll find I've pulled all my hair out and probably disowned football. But until then, I'm going to ride this journey. Well, thanks a lot. My pleasure. All right, folks. Well, thank you again for the download. I appreciate, again, you doing this and being a part of this show. 
So without any more today, because this interview did go a little longer than we expected it to, but I think that was all for the good for all of us. I think we're all better for it. But I do hope that you take everything that you're learning from this show, and I, I hope that you do go and take a look at that Take Us Home documentary, and you learn from it as well, and you use all that you're learning to help you to be a better leader in every area of your life with everything that you're learning from the beautiful game. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.